Hey, youth leaders, this is Jason with Dare to Share Ministries. Thanks for dialing in to another episode of Gospel Eyes with Greg Steer. Can you believe that we are just a few weeks away from Dare to Share Live, at least from when this podcast initially goes up? And so if you haven't already, be sure to check out daretosharelive.org slash locations. Find a satellite site near you or opt to be a streaming only site. Do not miss out on Dare to Share Live coming up in just a few weeks. Now, on to the matter at hand, the podcast. Greg is kicking off a new seven-episode series called How to Build a Gospel-Advancing Ministry. Today, he unpacks value number one, intercessory prayer fuels it. We're excited for this series. Looking forward to the content Greg has for us today. With that, here's Greg Steer. Today, we're going to talk about how to build a gospel-advancing ministry. In other words, how to gospelize your youth ministry. You know, in 2013, we did a research project at Dare to Share through an outside research organization, and they discovered uh, in this research of hundreds of youth ministries, half of which had been a part of Dare to Share, half of which had not been, they discovered that there were seven common values in every youth ministry, both Dare to Share and non-Dare to Share, seven common values in every youth ministry that was seeing 25% new conversion growth per year or more. So in other words, if there's 100 students in a youth ministry a year later, 125. But those 25 extra were new believers that were plugged into the youth ministry. So it really caught our attention. We said, what are these seven values? We begin to dig into those seven values. And I said, you know what? I don't want to put all my hope into a research project. And I want to get tactical with this. So we did a 10-city tour at Dare to Share. I interviewed 1,000 pastors and youth pastors from Pentecostal to Presbyterian, urban, suburban, rural. Uh, We got a double thumbs up from all these pastors and youth pastors about these seven values. So again, I cross-checked it with the book of Acts. So I really want to make sure these are standing as true values or principles that are rooted in Scripture. They were all over uh, the book of Acts, all over the Gospels, all over the epistles. I began to really kind of get blown away. I was like, man, where are these values in youth ministry? I began to look at youth ministry and realize that generally speaking, these seven values are not in the youth ministry box. And we need to make room in this youth ministry box so that we can have a gospel advancing ministry. So over the next seven podcasts, I'm going to be sharing with you these seven values. And I want you to be thinking, okay, are these in our youth ministry program? Are they they really programmed in to the way we do youth ministry. If you want to build a gospel advancing ministry, a ministry that advances the gospel to and through your students, uh, you need to seize these values. They're rooted in scripture. Value number one, intercessory prayer fuels it. Intercessory prayer fuels it. Too often we underestimate the power of prayer to transform our lives, the lives of those around us, and our youth ministries, our teenagers. If you want a gospel-advancing ministry, it starts with intercessory prayer. And I'm going to introduce a statement uh, that I'll unpack scripturally. And the statement is this, a broken heart leads to a bent knee. When you have a broken heart over something, you bend your knee in prayer. Uh, My mom, who uh, died of cancer 15 years ago, she was in hospice for 40 days and 40 nights. And I I remember looking at my mom, and I was brokenhearted over her condition, stage four lung cancer. And I remember again and again and again kneeling 
by her bedside praying, God, would you raise her up? Would you raise my mom up? Would you heal her? For 40 days and 40 nights, I prayed again and again and again, and I was broken hearted. So I bent my knee in prayer. God ended up taking her home. But I, I remember leaving that hospice room knowing that I had prayed every prayer I could possibly pray that God would raise her up. God doesn't always give us a yes to our prayer, but he calls us to pray. A broken heart leads to a bent knee. 2008, uh, Dare to Share, our ministry uh, was greatly impacted by the Great Recession. Uh, we lost half of our donated uh, giving. We had to go from a staff from 48 people to 23 people. And it looked, quite honestly, like we may shut down. And I began to pray out of utter desperation. A broken heart led to a bent knee. I prayed, God, would you come through? And over the course of weeks and months, God became to, began to come through in surprising ways. I was brokenhearted and I bent my knee in prayer. When you're desperate for something, you pray for that something. What are you desperate for? I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be brokenhearted over the lost. Let's talk about a broken heart. And when I think of somebody who is brokenhearted over the lost, I think of the Apostle Paul, who in Romans 9, 1 through 3, wrote these words, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing, unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. I want you to think about this. The Apostle Paul, he's a man of deep emotion. And according to his own accounts, he wept often. He was moved beyond words to cry out for the lost. His cry was beyond our comprehension. Because look at what he writes. I could wish I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Can you imagine that? He had such a burden for his fellow Jews that he, would, he was saying, I would live my life without Christ. I would go to hell for all eternity apart from Christ if it meant that my fellow Jews would be saved. That is a level of burden for the lost that I cannot comprehend. But how can we begin to get to that level of burden, of a broken heart for the lost? The first way is by being with Jesus on a daily basis. Because the more we spend time with Christ, the more we adopt and adapt the heart of Christ into our lives. And Jesus himself, he was not just willing to be cut off. He was cut off from the Father on the cross to save the Jews and the Gentiles. He screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on that cross, he prayed the prayer, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even on the cross, he's praying for the lost out of a broken, broken heart. And maybe you tuned into this podcast and you don't know for sure where you stand with God. I want you to imagine Jesus Christ hanging on the cross saying about you, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross. 
He died in our place. He rose from the dead. He offers eternal life if we simply put our faith in him. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, trust in him today and receive that gift of eternal life. And if you're already a believer, may you and I gain that level of empathy that Jesus had. We need to empathize with the lost on a consistent basis. Imagine what their lives are like without Christ. Imagine what their lives are like without the knowledge of God. Imagine their eternity separated from God. Matthew 9, 36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. That Greek word literally means to suffer with. He saw them. He suffered in his soul for them because he imagined them being surrounded by wolves and being torn and shredded. That word harassed here, scullo in Greek, means to be mangled, torn apart, or cut to the bone. The word helpless, ripto in the Greek, means to throw to the ground. So in other words, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were, they were mangled, they were torn apart, they were cut to the bone, they were thrown to the ground. When Jesus saw the crowds, he imagined them as being shredded by sin, by Satan, by circumstance. And we need that same level of empathy that Jesus had for the lost. If we want to have that same broken heart that Jesus had for the lost, that Paul had for the lost. I remember when I was about six or seven years old, my mom took me out to a farm. She knew these people who ran this farm And they told me I could just kind of go out and just hang out and look around uh, at the farm and see, you know, the goats and and the lambs and and the cows and and the farming equipment. And I just remember kind of wandering around. And I remember there were some teenagers there. And I began to hear this horrific scream. And I thought somebody was hurt. And I ran outside and I saw these teenagers It was one of those moments that mark you as a kid. I saw them skinning a rabbit alive. And I remember freaking out because I'd never seen something so horrific. I've never heard something so horrific because it sounded like a person that was screaming. They were being cruel. And I remember begging for them to stop and running in and asking the adults, would you please make those kids stop? My heart was broken. To this day, when I see a rabbit, I I mean, I, I think of that time. And I think of that, that pain that that rabbit must have been going through. When Jesus saw the crowds, that's exactly what he, he saw them as sheep being mangled, being shredded, screaming out for help and for hope. And in the same way, many of our teenagers today, they're being skinned alive. They're being mangled. They're being torn apart, cut to the bone. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to use social media and peer pressure and drugs and depression and suicidal thoughts and the media and comparison and anything and everything to skin them alive. And we need to have a broken heart for them. When I think of that that word broken heart, I think of the wailing wall in Jerusalem. I remember about five years ago, I went over with Doug Holliday, my good friend with Sun Life, to uh, Jerusalem 
and Israel. We saw the Sea of Galilee. We went into the city of Jerusalem. And I remember seeing the Wailing Wall. Now, much of what we know about uh, Jerusalem is this, that in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman emperor, sacked Jerusalem. He tore down the walls. And what we know now is the one wall that was left, the retaining wall, we now call it the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. So the Jews who survived go to this. And if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see this Western Wall. And these, these Orthodox Jews will pray at this wall and they'll wail at the wall and they're praying for the coming of the Messiah. And it breaks my heart to see them praying for the coming of the Messiah because the Messiah has already come. His name is Jesus. But these Jews stand and pray and wail at this wall and they put their prayers in this wall. Their, their prayers for the, the, the restitution of the temple, the coming of the Messiah, uh, the, the gathering of the Israeli people back to Jerusalem. And they pray and they wail and they call out, to God. And I started thinking, you know what? What if? What if we had a designated wailing wall in our youth youth rooms where we students would stand and pray for their friends who didn't know Christ? Is there a time that you pray for the lost? You help your students envision their friends without Christ to help them get a broken heart for those who do not yet know Jesus? Because a broken heart leads to a bent knee. It leads to a bent knee. Romans 10.1, the passage I read before that Paul said, I wish I could be cut off from Christ. Romans 9, uh, 1 through 3. Romans 10.1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, that in the Greek, strong desire, begging prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. You see, Paul's deep emotion of a broken heart led to motion. His broken heart led to a bent knee. And this is the hard work of intercessory prayer. And I'm talking, about, I'm talking about taking time to pray for the lost. Because there's different aspects of prayer. I mean, you think about it, praise is like a party, right? We, we you know, tune in on Hillsong or Elevation Worship or Vertical Worship, and, and we, we tune it up and kids worship, and I mean, we're celebrating just uh, in church on a Sunday morning. I mean, just, just worshiping God or a Wednesday night, worshiping God, it's kind of like the party. It's great. It's what made, you know, when you see David in the Old Testament dancing with reckless abandon in front of the ark, it's a party. Supplication is a privilege, uh, this, this is when we ask God to supply our needs. We beg him, Lord, would you, would you uh, heal my kid? Would you strengthen my marriage? Would you provide for me financially? This is where we have the privilege of going before God and praying for our needs to be fulfilled. And God wants us to do that. He wants us to come with our needs and even our wants and to present the, these to him. What a privilege it is to go straight uh, to the throne room with our request. So praise is a party, supplication is a privilege, and let's be honest, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but intercession is a pain. It is. It is literally a pain. It's the manual labor of the prayer world. Here's what Colossians 4.12 says. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. That word wrestling in Greek uh, is connected with the word agonize. So it could read, he's always agonizing in prayer for you. Literally, he's in pain in prayer. 
Intercession is, is that hard work of praying on behalf of others. And so many times we want the praise party, right? Or so many times we, we're exercising the privilege of asking God to supply our needs that we're not willing to enter into the pain, the manual labor of the prayer world, and, and really work before God for the souls and salvation and spiritual maturity of others. Intercessory prayer is when we pray for the lost to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. Paul writes to Timothy, I urge you, first of all. Now, let me just stop here. Paul is instructing Timothy on how he should organize the church services. So he's saying in 1 Timothy 2, 1-4, when it comes to the services, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. To ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So he's saying as part of your church services, think of it this way, as part of your youth group, I want you to pray for all people. I want you to intercede. I want you to pray for the lost. Why? Because God wants everyone to be saved and to come uh, to an understanding of the truth. Intercessory prayer, it ignites our hearts for the lost. And it ignites our hearts for evangelism. It enlivens our worship and infuses our preaching with Holy Spirit power. D.L. Moody once said, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but how to pray. Do you know how to pray? Do your teenagers know how to pray? Are they praying for the lost? Again, he wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. When we pray, we pray the heart of God back to him. We're saying, God, you said you want everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And so with that principle in mind, we're praying on behalf of our lost friends, our lost neighbors, our lost classmates, our lost teammates. It was God himself who said, for uh, Jesus himself who said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We're praying the heart of God back to God when we pray for the lost. Without intercessory prayer, our evangelism efforts, they falter. But with them, they're supercharged with divine power for the tearing down of strongholds. Listen to the words of Armin Gesswein a Lutheran pastor who God used to ignite a prayer movement in America and around the world. I love these words. Prayer is the lifeline of New Testament evangelism, the oxygen for its holy fire. The New Testament was born in prayer. It knows no evangelism without prayer and no prayer which does not lead to evangelism. So prayer and evangelism are interconnected. When we do intercessory prayer well, when we labor at intercessory prayer, when we wrestle in intercessory prayer, when we enter the pain of intercessory prayer, we are praying for the lost to be saved, but it's also praying for the saved to be sanctified. Again, I go back to Colossians 4.12, when Epaphras is laboring in prayer for you that you may be mature and fully assured. 
So this is not just praying for the lost. It's also praying for our students who are saved that they would be mature and fully assured. Are you praying on behalf of your teenagers that they would grow in their relationship with God? So much of our prayer lives is for us. It's about our needs. So much of our teens' prayer lives are for themselves. It's before the test. Or that that guy or that girl would start liking them. Or that God would uh, help them with their, their struggles. And these are good prayers that they should pray. But the hard work of praying for the lost is what God calls us into. I have a friend who is a Navy SEAL, uh, been one for 26 years, uh, retired, uh, became a youth pastor. He read Gospel Eyes, your youth ministry, my book. Uh, He went through the intercessory prayer chapter, and he said, you know what? I'm going to begin to operationalize intercessory prayer. What does that mean? Because I'm going to start doing it. And so he began to really make uh, prayer part of what they do. They pray for each other. They pray for the lost. That broken heart that they have leads to a bent knee for the lost. And he came up with a statement that caught my attention. Um, He called it the black Toyota truck uh, effect. And what is that? He said, well, I bought a black Toyota truck. And when I got that black Toyota truck, I got it because I'd never seen that black Toyota truck anywhere else on the highway. And this is the actual black Toyota truck. Um, And once I bought that black Toyota truck, I began to see black Toyota trucks everywhere. And he goes, it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing. The black Toyota truck effect. When, when I bought it, then I see it. And in the same way, when my kids pray for the lost, they begin to see the lost. And I was sharing this with Lee Strobel, and he said, you know, Greg, there is a actual scientific reason for that. I'm like, please tell me, Mr. Smartman, because he's way smarter than me. He called it the reticulator activating system. And I did a little research on it. The reticular activating system, it's a bundle of nerves at our brain stem that filters through unnecessary information so that the important stuff gets through. It's, a, it's the same uh, reason you, you, when you buy a car, you see that car everywhere. According to study.com, the reticulator-activating system is compared to a filter or a nightclub bouncer that works for your brain. It makes sure your brain doesn't have to deal with more information that it can handle. Thus, the reticulator-activating system plays a big role in the sensory information you perceive daily. And so basically, intercessory prayer helps you get past the bouncer, right? So that that you're thinking about the lost during the day. That the people you've been praying for, when you see them, you are able to engage them in an actual gospel conversation. Again, one of the reasons Paul was always reaching out to the lost is because he was consistently praying for the lost. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So let me ask you a question. Is intercessory prayer programmed in to your youth ministry? Is it scheduled into your calendar? Is it part of your small groups? Do you spend time, is it normal to spend time in prayer for the lost in your youth ministry? I mean, I was talking to Todd uh, Peters, and now he's a campus pastor at McLean Bible. He's got a youth pastor. He said they, if I remember right, he, they begin every one of their youth group meetings 
on their knees in prayer for their lost friends. That's how they start the youth group, in prayer for the lost. And I can guarantee you, the teenagers in that group, they see the lost because they've been praying for the lost. That broken heart leads, literally in their case, to a bent knee. That word intercession comes from two Latin words that mean I go between. It's a go-between. So it's when somebody is going in between you and another party. When uh, God said in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, I sought for a man among them to stand in the gap on behalf of the people, but I couldn't find none. He was looking for an intercessor. He's looking for a go-between. And I remember when I was about probably nine or ten years old, I was walking down the streets of North Denver. I was raised in Denver. Ten-block walk from uh, 20th and Federal to Brown Elementary School. And it was cold, so my mom had gotten me this thick jacket. And I always walked on one side of the street because on the other side of the street, there was always these two German shepherds that seemed to be loose and out front. Well, that particular day, I'm walking on the other side of the street, and I see these two German shepherds running toward me. Their ears were down. Their teeth were bared. I knew they were going to attack. I backed up against a chain link fence, and I kind of covered my face, and I held on to the chain link fence, and one went for my arms, and the other went for my stomach, and they're trying to tear me down off of this chain link fence, and I began to scream. I was terrified. It felt like an hour. It was probably only a few minutes, but a little old lady, Nick, we used to call her Ma Zemer, she came shuffling down the street. She was probably a buck ten, probably 80 years old, has a baseball bat, and she comes shuffling down the street. She heard my screams, and boom, she cracks one of these dogs in the head. And, man, she starts swinging that bat and standing between me and the dogs, and she's cursing and she's yelling, and finally those dogs went back across the street. Ma Zemer was my cursing intercessor, right? She stood between me and the danger. And that's exactly what we do when we pray for the lost, when we pray for the saved. We stand between them and the danger, swinging that bat, so to speak, interceding on their behalf, a go-between. So I'm going to challenge you personally. Would you make intercessory prayer for your students a priority? Would you make intercessory prayer for the lost in your world a priority? Would you begin to help your teenagers have intercession as a higher priority in their lives, praying for the lost. Not just the praise, not just the supplication, but also intercession, the hard work, the painful work of praying for the lost. Because I believe it's that through intercession that we will see revival. We will see transformation. I can't help but go back to 1990, 1991, when the Gulf War broke out. For those of you who don't know about the Gulf War, it was a conflict between Iraq and a coalition force of approximately 30 nations led by the United States. Iraq uh, had invaded Kuwait, and these allied forces came to deliver uh, the Kuwaiti people from Iraqi oppression. And it was intense. There was really only one major cable outlet. It was CNN. So everybody was glued to CNN to see what would take place. Then we found out who would be the one leading the charge against Iraq. And we were thrilled. 
it was General Norman Schwarzkopf, otherwise known as Stormin' Norman, the ultimate name for any general, right? And so he had his plan uh, to, to go in and to take out Iraq, and his plan was this. For 40 days and 40 nights, they would send bombers in. They would send planes in to bomb key targets all across Iraq. And they would just kind of soften them up. Well, they didn't just soften up. They devastated Iraq from the sky. They went on 100,000 bombing missions in total. Dropped like 88,500 tons of bombs all over key targets all over Iraq. Taking out radar systems, taking out missile silos, taking out uh, the ammunition uh, uh, arsenals. They were just taking everything out. Devastated them from the air. 100,000 bombing missions, 88,500 tons of bombs all over Iraq before they sent in the ground troops. 40 days after just this air assault, air assault, air assault, the ground troops came in. And when those ground troops came in, it was something to see when we were watching CNN because Iraqi soldiers were surrendering to CNN reporters. Not just soldiers, anybody. They had been so devastated from the air that they were surrendering to these reporters. When you think about prayer, intercession, as an air assault against the forces of darkness, we're praying for the lost. We're, t we're bombing strongholds. Right? We're taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're getting our kids to pray for their friends. That, that we're programming that in to our youth ministries and, and our small groups and our youth groups. Uh, and it is part of the way that we roll. It's part of our lives. We're praying for the lost and we're praying for the saved. The lost to be saved, the saved to be sanctified. That broken heart that leads to that bent knee. When that begins to happen, then I believe when we send in our students to do evangelism, boy, Satan just waves that white flag because he's been so devastated from the air. You know, in the military, there are three levels of air control. There's what's called air parity, there's air superiority, and there's air supremacy. Air parity is when you, as a, as a army, have control of the air over your own soldiers. Air su uh, superiority is when you're winning uh, the control for the air of the entire battlefield. And air supremacy is when you own the skies. So I'm going to ask you this question. When it comes to intercessory prayer, do you have air parity? Do you even have that? Are you praying for the lost? I mean, are you praying for your own kids in, in, your, in your group? Right? Are you, are you bringing them before God? Or is it air um, superiority? That you're, you're leaning into prayer for the lost. It's becoming more and more normalized. Or is it air supremacy? Do you own the skies when it comes to intercessory prayer? Wherever you are at now, my prayer for you is that you would get to air supremacy and you would begin to make intercessory prayer a huge priority in the way that you do youth ministry. So with that in mind, let me pray for you. Father, I pray for these youth leaders. Lord, teach us to pray. That's what Jesus, uh, his disciples asked, uh, asked him. Lord, would you teach us to pray? Lord, would you teach us to pray with a broken heart that leads to a bent knee? May we wrestle in prayer for the lost. 
May we wrestle in prayer for our Christian students. Lord, may we wrestle into intercessory prayer is a huge part of the way that our teenagers think and live till they see the lost, till their hearts are broken, till they open their mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Greg, thanks so much for uh, some amazing content. Value number one, intercessory prayer in our new series, uh, How to Build a Gospel Advancing Ministry. Uh, this is Jason, and I am here, as always, with my good friend. Carrie. And uh, we're here to kind of debrief a little bit Greg's uh, message today and give you some takeaways, tips, and tools. Uh, for me, unpacking the, the definition of intercessory mm -hmm. and that definition of I go between uh, really helps understand that as youth leaders, uh, we are intercessors for our students. We go between them and the Lord to intercede on their behalf. And then we lead our students yeah. to intercede on behalf of their lost friends, but really understanding that Ma Zimmer role, right? Yeah. Of that I go between uh, really puts some weight behind uh, how significant and important our prayers are and why intercessory prayer fuels a gospel advancing yeah. ministry. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a great illustration. I love that for sure. I also loved when he said, kind of put it into such a great terminology, just that intercession is really the manual labor of the prayer world. It was like, yeah, it is, you know, and like, labor. it's where we agonize over people, you know, and just really spend that time kind of intentionally, you know, having that burden for them. And it was just so powerful that that phrasing that he used, I think just really hit home for me. I hope it did for you guys out there too. And uh, one of the ways we implemented that in our youth group was simply asking our students to put the names of lost friends on post-it notes, sticking them all Genius. around the youth room, and just spent time, like a good chunk of time, really like 15 minutes, just put on some light worship music, went around and just encouraged them to pray over those names, pray over those people, really. And also we did some prayers where we had them just kind of call out names of people they knew that didn't know Jesus. And, you know, a little awkward at first, kind of that nobody wants to speak right. up. But then right. those names start coming and it's like they begin to see the loss, just like Greg was talking about with that truck. You know, yeah. it's like all of a sudden, okay, they're thinking about the loss. They're praying for the loss. They're gaining that burden for the Oh, lost. that's good. Yeah. Carrie, those are a couple good tips. Another one of the best practices we've heard from several youth leaders, probably many of you watching and listening, is the idea of a prayer wall, much like Greg talked about the wailing wall in Jerusalem, but they mm -hmm. paint the cause yeah. circle on a wall and use chalkboard paint so their kids post-it note mm -hmm. idea, but writing in chalk names of students that they're praying for, caring, and sharing. And it just becomes uh, that visual reminder in the room to do that. Here's the deal. Whatever Absolutely. tip you decide to implement, however you practically want to apply intercessory prayer within your youth ministry, the bottom line, youth leaders, you're going to have to program this in your youth group setting. And so on Wednesday night or Sunday morning or whenever you meet, you're going to have to put in your program, just like you put worship songs and skits and games, five to 10 minutes of intercessory Absolutely, prayer. Yeah. And the reality is what happens in those five to 10 minutes in the lives of our students as we intercede for the lost, so much more impactful. I mean, do the fun and games, do the announcements, but let's prioritize praying and interceding for the lost. Yeah, for Gotta sure. Got to program it. So good. So good. Yeah. And then one of the things also that we did is we've used this app called Echo Prayer. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's just an awesome tool. You can create groups in there, whether it's with your small group, your whole youth group, whatever awesome. it is, where you can be praying collaboratively for those people that don't know Christ and just praying for those conversations that your students are having with them. And it also can set reminders for prayer. It's just a really great tool. Super we totally good tool. recommend it. Absolutely yeah. great practical. Yeah. Uh, another tool, Greg, 
Craig mentioned was his book that he wrote, Gospelize Your Youth Ministry. Uh, just so everybody who's watching and listening knows, that resource is available in digital format for free through our website. Uh, you can either go to gospeladvancing.org and check it out, or you can go to the store at daretoshare.org. Uh, but the digital version of that book is for free. We're going to do something fun a yeah. little bit this month. Yeah. I think it's fun. Carrie That's thinks exciting. it's fun. Yeah. We hope you think it's fun. The first 10 people who email us at the podcast email, so podcast at daretoshare.org, the first 10 of you that send in an email saying, I want a copy of the Gospelized book, we will send you a hard copy for free as so a fun awesome. gift to you. So the first oh, 10, such a great book. hard copy. If you're not don't one of the first out. 10, download the digital, but the first 10, yeah, yes, don't miss out. Don't Big miss deal. out. It's so fun. good. Get it. Yeah. The first person, the number one on that list, we're actually going to send the Gospelize Your Team kit. It's got multiple copies of the book, a fun drawstring bag, water bottle, all kind of cool stuff. So here's the deal. Balls in your court, listening and viewing world for the Gospelize with Greg Steer podcast. Email us, podcast at daretoshare.org. Let us know you want your free copy of the book. We'll get your shipping address from you, and we will get that sent out to you. So between now and the next podcast, we expect to hear from all of you via email, but only the Do first it. 10. We'll get the prize. Hey, thanks so much for joining us again this month. We're really excited. Uh, one out of seven so far in this series of how to gospelize your youth ministry. Can't wait for values two through seven. On behalf of Carrie, myself, the whole Dare to Share th uh, team, thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm.